Thank you so much to Andrew W. and Matt N. for donating to the podcast on Patreon this week. High five, guys. Coming at you through the cyber waves right now. Slap! You feel that? Appreciate it. This is an ad-free podcast, and I rely on listeners like you to keep it that way. So if any of you get inspired to donate even just a few bucks a month, the equivalent of a cup of coffee every month, you can click the link below the bio of this episode or head over to my website, kyle.surf, to donate. I just got in from a little spearfishing session, woke up at 5.30 this morning and kicked around in the kelp beds with my buddy Gunner. Uh, the visibility was not great, but I enjoy diving spots that I normally surf because I may have surfed you know, the wave a thousand times, but going below and checking out some of the bathymetry the bottom contours of the ocean uh, at a very familiar place is uh, it's a fun perspective shift for me. But again, it was pretty murky. It was actually raining the night before. So uh, a lot of sediment had been kicked around, but nevertheless, it was a good time. Uh, I'm watching a documentary right now called Requiem for an American Dream. It's a series of interviews with Noam Chomsky I highly recommend it. Really well done. Um, I'll include it in this month's email. Um, I send out an email just once a month with the best documentaries I've been watching, books I've been reading, podcasts I've been listening to. Um, and if you're interested in that, you can head over to my website, kyle.surf, to sign up. This conversation is with Foster and Kimberly Gamble. They are the creators of the documentary Thrive, What on Earth Will It Take?, the controversial documentary has been translated into 27 languages and at the time of this podcast has more than 82 million documented views. Foster instigated the creation of the film department at Princeton University while a student there, then spent the next 40 years of his life researching the science and principles behind what it would take for humans to thrive. He developed state-of-the-art brainwave biofeedback technology in a company in Silicon Valley, taught Aikido, and partnered early on with advanced breakthrough energy technologies. The film represents the accumulation of his many years of research. Kimberly and Foster are currently in the production for the sequel, Thrive 2, This Is What It Takes, which chronicles the best breakthrough technologies they have found in new energy, health, and consciousness, as well as unpacks the principles behind all of them, including how they inform what they call the Liberty Principle, a new way of organizing our societies that is transpolitical and based on non-aggression. Kimberly, who is the producer, director, and co-writer of the movie, also happens to be my mom. And Foster is my stepdad. Boom. This was a highly personal podcast for me to do. This was uh, one that I've been thinking about doing for a long time and have been afraid to. Um, and I'm really happy I did. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with my mom and my stepdad, Kimberly and Foster Gamble. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. Hey. Oh. 
at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thank you both for taking the time to do this. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this is the podcast that I've thought about doing most and haven't um, since I started it. Um, And I think there are a few reasons for that. Um, You know, on one hand, you both have had more of an impact on me and the way that I think about the world than pretty much anyone else in my life. Um, And I think that you've both really taught me certain skills around critical thinking, around following the money. You've let me into worlds that I would otherwise not have access to. And I'm really grateful for that. And I'm also caught between that gratitude and a fear of being associated with you yeah. as I've um, come out into the world more and more and am in, am doing documentaries and journalism. And uh, I also see, I think, I, I mean, I'm, I have a unique perspective on your lives because I see it so closely and I see the the kind of controversy that you live with um, and the fact that you both don't get invited to certain parties because you have ideas that threaten people Um, and I think that kind of my real life's challenge is to be able to hold conflicting ideas in my mind at once um, and the fact that it does scare me to sit down with my mom and my stepdad for a podcast um, means that there's something there and I should move towards it. Um, but I have known you, uh, Kimberly, for 28 years, and I've known you, Foster, since I was 12. And I can, I believe that the reason why you both do your work um, is because you think that people are good and people have an ability to thrive when given the right information about their circumstances. Um, I was having a conversation yesterday about the um, the famous experiment that was done um, about lab rats and how if it, it, the conclusion was that if la, if lab rats were given the choice between food and cocaine, they would take cocaine until it killed them. And then a researcher named Bruce Alexander came along, and he um, created an experiment, what's now, which is what's called now Rat Park, where he gave rats this kind of heaven on earth to live in. And he found that when you give rats a really good environment, they choose food over cocaine. They would try the cocaine once and they would be done with it. And I think that a lot of the work that you're both doing is is in an effort to show people the park that they are in and provide some clarity to why they are feeling badly. Um, and... I know if there's one thing that I am sure about, it's that that is the place that you're coming from. Um, 
So your research has led you to a number of conclusions, some of which I really agree with, some of which I um, am not sure about, um, and some of which I'm really afraid to be associated with. <laughs> so here we are. Well, I just want to acknowledge that uh, this is a, a step that's a few years in the making. And so I really appreciate you having this conversation with us. And, you know, of course, I don't ever want to do something that uh, has a bad effect for you, right? Be if being associated with me and my work in any way is. And I feel like because you understand where we're coming from, that's that really helps to set the stage because I feel like anybody who understands where we're coming from would be interested in the stuff that we come up with because it's so motivated by um, exactly what you describe in the rat experiment. And in fact, it's funny because I, my whole view is I have a very high expectation of people when given real knowledge and a real opportunity to um, live without fear. And, and so a big part of it is to un uncover what's in the way of that and then provide real strategies for how to get to that park that, that you described. So that is absolutely the intent and, and uncovering any of the stuff that we've uncovered in the, um, you know, with conspiracy or anything else has been uh, fully intended to expose what's in the way so that we can really come up with solutions that that are sufficient to the task at hand. And that was just motivated seeing so many people give so much time and money and effort into things that really didn't get to the heart of the matter, in my view. So thanks, and I hope that uh, it, it becomes ever more apparent to ever more people that that is the motivation behind everything that we're doing. I've seen some other brain research recently that was pointing out the difference between a dopamine high and a serotonin high. And the dopamine you can get from cocaine. Uh, you can get it from an orgasm. Uh, you can get it from, uh, from opening up your cell phone. <laughs> uh, serotonin is more difficult to get. It comes through uh, experiences like uh, intimacy and uh, love and telling the truth or discovering something that's, re that's really important to you. And I think along the line of what Kimberly said, that, that's also what we're looking for in our work is thriving, is actually helping people uh, find their own path to clearing the obstacles to actually being uh, in that high of being a fully alive human being, being in intimate relationships, uh, in, in honest conversations, in discovery in their lives, because that, that, that seems to be what lasts, that seems to be what contributes to, to health and, and well-being. And I want you to know that, um, as you know, I'm a busy guy, but I love podcasts. Um, but I only subscribe to a handful of them, and you're one of them, so it's an honor to be on your podcast at last. Very fun. <laughs> Yeah. One thing I want to say about uh, knowledge and this whole, um, the notion that if people have, you know, the park, what is the park? Part of it is access to what's true. And, you know, so what's true? And to me, one of the most interesting things has to do with the notion of taboo subjects. Because I feel like in itself, 
that very notion be speak like that speaks to something that really is worth unpacking. I I know like the first time it came to me, I had been um, with my dad. He was really into um, astronomy, and we would go out at night and look up at the sky and see you know all these gorgeous stars and he would just be like look at this there's like a hundred billion planets in the milky way and you know 10 million super clusters and just imagine what's out there right and so we would be together me as a kid just like imagining life on other planets and could it be visiting us and all this kind of stuff that was the most natural inquiry like I, to me, it would be impossible not to look up and start thinking about life on other planets, right? And then as I went forward and uh, got into looking at, you know, who else was exploring these notions of ETs and were they visiting and all this kind of stuff, I recognized what a taboo subject it was and that even the inquiry puts you into a kind of an uh, an incredible place. And so whether or not there are ETs and whether or not they're visiting was really less significant to me than the fact that there were whole areas of like really natural inquiry that automatically relegated one to a certain uh, kind of fringe just to consider. And that's been one of the main things I'm after, is that I, I refuse not to think about something because somebody else designated it as taboo. Yeah, yeah. I um, was listening to a podcast with a guy named Hunter Motz, who's a really smart guy, um, and he was talking about what the issues of the next generation will be and how do you... Um, how do you know what the, the issues of tomorrow really will be? And he said, look at what s issues are taboo today. Which ones aren't we allowed to talk about? Um, so that's neat. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think that my fear to do a podcast with both of you is a perfect example of that mm -hmm. is my own fear to go down certain roads and be, um, relegated to fringe or or labeled a conspiracy theorist yeah <laughs> well the the whole notion of uh entertaining uncomfortable conspiracy theories or uncomfortable facts or whatever just brings up the the challenge of how can we think effectively? And that's a lot of why I was, I'm so glad to be married to this woman who is my ultimate companion on so many levels, but especially on the level of fearless to go anywhere in the conversation and, uh, and not to be swayed by fashionable leanings or social popularity, um, but to actually keep going until she feels like something really feels coherent and makes sense to her and is backed up uh, by facts and evidence. Because it's not just enough to discover something that, uh, that you really think after much consideration and investigation is true. Particularly in this day and age, it's very uncomfortable psychologically to have your worldview challenged. It's very uncomfortable socially to have your friends stop and go silent or roll their eyes when you say something that's really important to you. And, uh, and professionally, you can lose your job in a hurry just through having the wrong political view. 
in many different places around the country. So I, I think along the line of what's taboo, I think you know, 20 years from now, we look back uh, at the the this period as an incredible explosion of more truth and truth seeking through alternative media but also incredible suppression of free speech on university campuses in the mainstream media in social environments in professional environments so I don't know of a more exciting time to be alive (laughs) because there's never been a time when an individual could be better informed or make a bigger difference Uh, and there's never been a time when human beings were more at risk for destroying ourselves and the planet than we are right now so good time to be here yeah yeah and I uh I think that podcasts lend themselves particularly well to thoughtful discourse and hashing out conflict and disagreement in a healthy way. Um, And whereas I think Instagram is not. Instagram, there's a photo or a meme and you get a tribe around you agreeing with whatever meme that is. Whereas we're going to, we're kind of just in the jumping off point of what I know will be an exciting conversation. Um, And it, the medium lends itself very well to that discourse, which I think is important. It's been one of the most exciting trends to me over just the last few years is to see your generation and younger moving uh, more and more from these eight-second sound bites, you know, quick on your phone like on Instagram like you're talking about, to look into these podcasts where people may not agree with each other and where they're actually having a conversation that lasts an hour and a half and really, you know, goes beneath the surface because I know when I... Uh, throughout my life, still to this day, how I learn best is through listening to really expert people who disagree. Yeah. So going back to how you think about an issue, um, can you bring me into that world um, and your process around discovering an issue and um, coming to a conclusion around it? You know, questions that you will ask yourself on this road. Yeah, I mean, the, oh, the, it, this is a this is my favorite topic. Uh, I would say that um, the most I pay attention a lot to when something makes me uncomfortable. The notion that an idea will make me uncomfortable, I find fascinating. Like, who am I? Right? Am I only what I believe? Because that would then make sense that if something's shaking who I am, then it's natural to get uncomfortable around it. But I don't actually want to identify by any belief because I want always to stay in a state of aliveness more than anything. And to do that means I have to be willing to change my beliefs if I'm given evidence that's contrary to what I currently believe. So a big chunk of what I do, it's almost like physical biofeedback, where I'll just pay attention to if something's challenging me or I'm getting hot sweat or whatever it is, and then really sit with that and breathe into that and allow myself to, like, I've had to get really comfortable with, you know, suspending disbelief, where I stay in a state of where it's like, I don't know, or huh, that's weird. Like, for example, at your party the other night, I sat across from the physicist Bruce Damer, who you had on your podcast, super interesting guy, who was talking about a whole new theory about how life began that I had never heard of before. 
um, and the, the you hot know, spring the, or the origin. Notion, yeah, the theory. hot spring yeah. origin where it's, you know, muddy ponds instead of the ocean. Yeah. Right. And my favorite thing was like, it's like, wow, this is a whole new idea that I never considered. I don't have any evidence. I since, you know, got the Scientific American article and listened to his talks and have called him to follow up more because I love bold thinking. And whether or not it's true, what he's come up with, I don't know. But I'm really excited to follow it and to stay in a conversation where I don't have the answer because I feel like that's a muscle that you have to develop over time and that it's connected for me spiritually actually and in terms of my consciousness and who do I think I am because whenever I'm uncomfortable by an I about just hearing a new idea that puts me back into reconsidering who I am and my belief about who I am is way different than a set of ideas and beliefs. So to me, it's sort of the same way science and spirit end up overlapping as you start diving into it. Critical thinking and consciousness also start overlapping as I get into it because I'm forced to stay in a state of I don't know. And also, I really value personally, like I am not swayed easily. I'm taken into I don't know pretty easily. But then I don't go for a whole new idea and abandon something that I've come to very easily. I just maintain the possibility that something's really different than I thought. And then there are some ideas where it's just like, I considered that and absolutely do not agree with that. Like, bring me into some examples of this. Oh, let's see. Well, one of the things about being someone associated with conspiracy, which, you know, that's a whole subject in itself, but the... The idea that I entertain ideas, for example, with uh, people who um, talk about sources of new energy technology, let's say, that they, uh, somebody might say that they uh, have experienced meeting a quantum physicist and an engineer who can um, access electrical energy from what they call the plenum, and there's whole new systems for delivering it across the planet. That somebody who's got a really, that that to me is a valid uh, inquiry and something that I've spent a lot of time in, but somebody then who's into that and thinking that there's a global domination agenda to control and suppress that kind of technology because it threatens the you know, trillions of dollars in oil and fracking and coal and all that, could also say that they're really looking into this whole flat earth uh, idea. It's like, I am, I am convinced that the earth is not flat. Like, that is not something I'm going to... I, I looked at what they were saying, and it's like, nope, this does not fit. So, But does that mean that other things that they're looking at, I do agree with? So that's the other part of it, is to be able to take from somebody something that I value and then leave the rest and I've had a we've we've both gotten a lot of grief for that like oh you're associated with so and so who holds this belief it's like I don't agree with anybody 100% I just take the value out of each one so I'd say that's part of how I go at it is to get comfortable with maybe yeah yeah there are two ways to look at that right there's one where you're afraid to be associated with someone out of um what it might do to your career. There is also um, looking at someone who might have credible beliefs, 
because like if someone thinks that the earth is flat, that means that they have a certain way of thinking that for me, if I hear someone say they think the earth is flat, that means that they don't have the discernment to look at other issues in a credible way. So I think that that's maybe the fear of, you know, when you guys go down a lot of these roads, um, is like the, don't go down there because it will, um, it will discredit you on other issues. Right. Well, and a lot of the people who support us in our thinking also get into things that we don't agree with. Right. Right. And so then we get associated with just sort of undiscerning conspiracy theorists or whatever. Sure. And and I'll say like, if I didn't know both of you closely, I think that I probably would throw everything to the side and be like, well, yeah, that's them in their category. But I've kind of by by nature of circumstance been forced to consider what you have to say because um, I, I love you guys and also like a huge amount of value has been brought into my life because of information that you've given me. For example, I've learned a ton about the banking system and fiat currency and how money is sucked out of banks when you put it there and fractional reserve lending as a result of you. And I can factually say that that is is true so where does that leave me right it leads me to what you're talking about which is being forced to entertain ideas one of my main mantras when i was a child was this just isn't necessary this isn't necessary and whether i was breaking up fights or arguments, or looking at starving homeless people on the side of the road. I just kept thinking and saying to people, this isn't necessary. And I knew that I was right that it wasn't necessary, but I had no idea how to fix those things. And really, my life has been dedicated to trying to figure out uh, what is it that is in the way of human beings thriving. And fortunately, I've had the time in my life and spent literally decades going down these roads to figure out how can human beings communicate successfully? How can an economic system actually work for everyone you know, without uh, coercion? How can uh, a media system actually you know, hold the truth and so forth? And the, one of the exciting things to me about doing that, first of all, it, when I left college, I had created the filmmaking department at my college, and I had told people that this is what I was going to be working on. And I thought maybe it would be five years, maybe even ten, before I actually figured out what was wrong in the world and what we could do about it. It was 42 years before I felt ready to, to make Thrive. And uh, when I was ready it was when the, both the problems and the solutions seemed coherent enough that it would make a useful story for people. And then since then, uh, it's gotten even more deep and more coherent. That's what's inspired us to recently commit to making the sequel, uh, Thrive 2, because as we've been exposed to just one incredible solution after another, brilliant access to free energy, cures for cancer and AIDS and, and chronic fatigue and, and other diseases, you know, restoring coral reefs in 60 days with quantum technology and on and on, and then seeing that uh, underneath 
each of those successes behind the thinking of these brilliant breakthrough scientists, it turned out they were all coming to similar realizations about the nature of reality, particularly the, the invisible so-called quantum field that they were all accessing. They didn't even know each other in most cases by understanding certain geometries and then using technologies of resonance rather than explosion, creating a still point and tapping this field and then healing energy comes through or electricity comes through or agriculture is in, in, in enhanced naturally. So those are the kind of benefits that have kept me going on, down rabbit holes that may be unpopular, may be unusual, but as long as I keep to okay, stay in, in I don't know until you actually feel like you do know, it keeps leading to stuff which is really exciting for me and I think really useful for the planet. Yeah. All right. That, that, <laughs> and away we go. <laughs> that, <laughs> Fasten your fucking seatbelts, guys. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's a perfect example. How about them warriors? How <laughs> <laughs> about them warriors? Uh, <laughs> that... Um, the uh, what you know when Thrive came out and it was in twenty seven different languages before long. So what happened was we were just getting letters and emails and phone calls and every which way we got contacted by people from over a hundred different countries with all kinds of things saying, oh, if you know about you know free energy like you talked about in Thrive, which is you know energy that's accessed in a completely different way that depends upon there being something called a unified field that Einstein talked about and we can get into but anyway um that if you you know we're into that from thrival well, here you might want to know about this and literally a thousand different solutions in different energy technologies and health technologies and things that we heard about and the ones that seemed the most like credible and effective were all talking about frequencies vibration and resonance and speaking of not knowing like I remember exactly where we were sitting and it's like I just don't like okay so they're they're all talking about something here that they have in common that they're doing they're showing evidence of some pretty amazing results I I don't get it but I let's you know put together a team of people who do get it engineers and scientists who are you know, educated enough in an old paradigm and open-minded enough to recognize something new and check these things out and see and see what they really are. And we just spent the last six years basically doing that, which is, as Foster said, a bunch of what's led to us deciding, you know, so Thrive was Thrive, what on earth will it take? And this is Thrive 2, this is what it takes. Because we feel like in the course of these six years, we've actually been able to unpack this. But it included a lot of unpacking our minds uh, to actually see see what's behind these things. Okay. So um, I've never seen free energy. I do not know if it exists. You both claim to have seen it. I've met a number of the inventors who claim to be able to produce it. What is the process that you go through to vet these inventions? Well, it's a very timely question because we're about to shoot um, on film, which is very unusual for these things, uh, for Thrive 2, the vetting of a half a dozen different of these uh, technologies. So um, 
when I'm first contacted about the things, I, I read through all the materials that, that they're willing to share with me and see if it if it seems coherent. And then I, I ask them, well, do you just have a concept? Do you have uh, proof of principle or do you have a working prototype? Um, I don't have time to, to suspend on pretty much other than working prototypes. And so, uh, and I'm not an expert um, in engineering. So um, I have people who are, who are, you know, PhD engineers or, you know, self-taught but 30 years in, in, in the field. And, and they have different ways, each one, to test the input and the output. Uh, and if they can accurately see that there is more energy coming out than is energy going in, then that's a whole new paradigm. That's a, a different type of device than traditional physicists would tell you is possible. And if there's enough com extra coming out that you can actually loop it around and then run the device on the energy that it's creating, you're in a whole new world. And uh, that can sound really bizarre, especially to traditional scientists, because that the... Uh, the old paradigm way of thinking is the second law of thermodynamics says you can't get more energy out of a, of a closed system than you're putting in, but the key word is closed. The old devices were closed system. All the ones that work are open systems. They're toroidal, which means that it has a, it's like a donut with an opening at the center. So it's, it's distinct, but it's also open to the whole rest of the universe because that's where the, that energy is coming from. And a couple of things that I share with people to just help them move into I don't know about that is uh, where are atoms getting their energy? What are they plugged into? We're all made up of, of trillions and trillions of atoms and they're all whirling around, every electron proton's whirling around in these little donut vortices at the speed of light. Where's that energy coming from? Well, that's the energy that these devices are tapping because we're actually, even traditional physicists now acknowledge through the work of a man named, named John Wheeler that uh, even a cubic centimeter of space, the, the, the what they call the vacuum density, is 10 followed by uh, 93 uh, zeros uh, cubes per centimeter squared. Um, and... That means that, that it's virtually infinite energy at every point, because that's actually what they call a renormalization. They're assigning a random number rather than deal with, with infinity. So if there's infinity at every point, then the question is not is there enough energy to go around, but how can we access it in a clean, harmonious way? And if, by the way, we are being visited from other planets, interdimensionally, whatever, as you know, over 400 uh, witnesses now from high-level FAA, military and government sources are, are acknowledging publicly, if we're being visited by some kind of beings that come from other planets, much less other galaxies, they're not burning Exxon on the way. So there's, there's some other way of accessing energy in the universe that, that we're just beginning to catch on to. And and which has been being spoken about for a long time. You know, Einstein uh, acknowledged what he called the ether, which is basically the same notion that there is, that we're in an alive, infinite universe that, you know, and also like as entanglement, the uh, theory purports now that everything is connected because it all came from one whole. It's basically multiplication only happens by division, right? So that that's what supports that notion. And Einstein acknowledged this. And then there was um, 
there were some experiments later, in, well, in the 40s when he was still there, that said, no, that's not true. And he said, oh, this was a, a huge mistake. But in fact, uh, there's there are many people now getting into this and acknowledging that there are many things about our current um, scientific paradigm that aren't answered if you maintain the notion that we're a closed system, that do get answered when you know when you open up the possibility. And so um, one of the ways that this ties in where new energy technology and health technology are actually talking about the same thing and often like for me i've worked i've worked at it sort of in all ways to come to this because like i said i don't just believe something until i see it or understand it and um so i'll just bring in a, a health component and then we can tie these together but one of the doctors who we work with is very interested in anomalies basically if something can happen once it can happen again if we can understand the means by which it's happening right so spontaneous healing is one of those things that's medically verified that there are times where somebody can heal inexplicably from everything from a spinal cord injury to stage 4 cancer so what is it that's happening in that case right and um so Dr. Todd Ovakaitis is one of the doctors that we work with, and he um, looked into it and was, and was talking in terms of frequency. What is the frequency that could align our uh, cells to create complete harmony? And what about this notion of complete harmony? And, and it, it turns out that there are all kinds of practitioners around the world who are now working on uh, various systems for... Uh, treatments that get people's body into the same state of harmony that happens during spontaneous um, healing. And that notion is very similar to the people who are working with new energy for accessing uh, electricity this way also that the and it's actually similar to what shaman talk about in uh, their explorations of the cosmos that there is a complete harmonious state of energy that can be accessed and when it is it provides what it's providing access to is an infinite source of harmonious energy so it can heal and it can provide electricity and and for us you know in exploring this it's like wow well that's pretty far out idea and if it's true think of the ramifications i mean the number of problems on this planet that could be solved if it were possible to get people clean electricity in this way is worth taking the next step of inquiry and that's kind of how i went into it it was like well i don't know but boy it sure would be great if it's true so let's find out who are these people and you know, what level of credibility and evidence is there, and then to personally have an experience of seeing electricity come through a device where the electricity is white instead of yellow because it has no heat. And the reason it has no heat is because there's no resistance. And that's the key to the whole deal, is to create a, a set of a geometry, frequency, and vibration that allows access to this what you know it's kind of you couldn't pick a less accurate name than to call it the vacuum right it's like the plenum it's just full of everything as john wheeler showed with this um you know the energy in each cubic centimeter of space sure so i agree if 
if free energy exists, the global ramifications of that are massive. And I understand that the oil and gas industry have big incentives to not have a new energy source come through that uh, makes their energy source obsolete. If free energy does not exist, I think it is a major distraction from real new green sources of energy. So if I were a free energy inventor, why wouldn't I go straight to someone like Elon Musk and say, this is a device, it can be replicated, let's put it out there for everyone? Well, the same question goes to why don't they just go get a patent on it? And the U.S. Patent Office has confiscated, well, officially over 5,000. Our source tells us over 11,000 energy devices. And, of course, they keep it in and use it themselves in, in the so-called deep state and secret space program and so forth. But it's, um, as you say, there are, are, there are vested interests who are vested with lots of money that don't want it to happen. But one of the things we lay out in Thrive One is that it's more, it's bigger than that. It's about control. And if you can, uh, if you can control uh, people's food, if you can control people's uh, money, if you can control people's energy, then you can control their lives. And what, what we recommended in Thrive One is that if people actually want to understand their world better so that they can be more effective and help out more and, uh, and so forth, that two lenses that we recommended people learn to look through is, first of all, the global domination agenda. Because we claim, after decades of research, that there is a secret agenda to do that. And I, I personally have no, I'm not in, I don't know about that. But a lot of people, most people are, or they're just being introduced to it. Um, but once you learn to look through that lens, then it's like when, when Copernicus finally put the sun at the center of the solar system. You don't have to, to jury-rig all these, these orbits anymore. All of a sudden, they all make, make sense. And it's the same thing once you understand that there is a, a small group of very uh, you know, uh, psychopathic or sociopathic uh, individuals who they've got access. They're the ones printing the money. They're the ones running major corporations and banks. So they're not in it for the money, but they are in it f for control. And the evidence is huge throughout uh, the last few centuries, uh, even in their own quotes, um, that their goal is to create a one-world entity with them in charge. And uh, so if you are someone with a free energy device in your garage uh, and you just go to a famous person uh, who oftentimes, like in Elon Musk's case, has gotten a lot of his funding from the government, word gets out very quickly in the wrong networks and they will do virtually anything to shut that down. So it's very dangerous not to keep it secret until it's unstoppable, until it's on the internet or it's out in locations all over the world and labs are recreating in a way that the toothpaste can't be put back in the tube. Yeah, but why? But given the internet, why wouldn't I, as an inventor, just show the step-by-step -step process and blueprint about how to invent one of these things and put it out there? Because if it can be replicated in science, then anyone could do it. Well, um, that's one of the once one of about seven different strategies that we are working with. In most cases, that takes 
uh, some sort of philanthropist who's willing to give the money to compensate that inventor for years and years of research. Maybe he's got $30 million invested in the project from other people, and they're looking for, uh, for a return. Uh, so it needs to be done carefully. It needs to be done step by step in order to, to, first of all, take care of the human beings, and secondly, take care of the knowledge so it doesn't get shelved or, or put back um, into secret. But I, I, I have been deep into this since 1997, and I'm happy to say that I think I see the toothpaste coming out of the tube all over the world in ways that will be unstoppable. And I actually think uh, 2018 and 2019 are the the years when we're going to see the whole thing turn around. I want to address more, um, like, why not just put it out on the internet? Also, because somebody, you know. I've thought, like when I first came into this, a big part of my going like, I don't know, was exactly this. Why not just put it out? And I still feel that way because as far as I'm concerned, you could say I'm going to do it and I'm going to need $30 million. You'd be the most famous person on the planet. It wouldn't be hard to get the money to pay back the people. That's how I look at it. If I had it, I would do that. But like all human endeavors, it's not that neat. Like, first of all, I would say the vast majority of these inventors are very, they're geniuses and they're not necessarily the easiest to work with or the most highly functional business people. And also, um, so like we're coming, we're right now in the midst of setting up standardized vetting in a field that ha- it's never been. There's never been completely standardized vetting of these things. There's been demonstrations that provide the evidence. Sometimes I think some of the inventors don't know completely what it is that they've done, even. And, par- and that begs another thing, which is measuring this stuff. Sometimes there aren't even the tools to measure a whole new form of energy. It's like I think about, you know... Thinking that the earth might not be flat probably came into mind before there were ships to sail around and prove it, right? And we're dealing with that right now. I was on the phone yesterday with some Russian inventors who have come up with the best measurement tools for different kinds of energy. So we're attempting, and I believe succeeding, at bringing some kind of formalization to this. So one thing besides just getting it out on the internet, which for various reasons has been not what's happened um, with the credible ones that we've seen. And I think it's true that it's risky, but I think you'd be safe in numbers to just get it out all over like that um, because then there would be no reason to harm you, right, once the world has it. But um, the other part of that is um, coming up with ways to get in – so – Coming at this one little invention at a time is not the way to go. It's got to be at a scale that could interface with the existing grid in a way that keeps as many friends along the way as you can. There's big economic uh, investment already in the existing structure, right? So how to work with that. And also when, when you're dealing with infinite energy, one of the issues is how to control it so you can access it which proves the concept, but does that mean that you can control it and get it down to where you can plug in your outlet and it's going to access that? Those are all refinements in it. And one of the things is how do you protect the IP 
the intellectual property of the inventor in a way that gives major investors a an incentive to to do it where if something happens to the inventor the secret that they're up to is not destroyed so we're coming up with that's part of what thrive to this is what it takes is all about is like what are the structures what are the standard vetting what are the ways of getting this stuff out that actually meet any credible persons looking at it and going is this real if so, how does it work? What are the basic principles that it's operating with? Partly to inspire new inventions. I mean, I think personally, my view is that we're at the horse and buggy stage of this technology, that even though I believe that it's real, which seems, whoa, that's so far out there, I think we're at the beginning of understanding how all this works, and that it will be the way of the future. And that um, so part to describe how it works so that other people can start to think in those terms. Like you can see, for example, the best measurement tools are coming out of Russia. I believe that's because they teach quantum physics in high school. So people are already thinking along those lines of what does that mean so more inventions can come out of there. So as we start to describe, here's where the technologies are at, here's how they work, and here are ways to structure this so that we can protect both the investors and the inventors and the business people all along the way, that it becomes a, a real viable offering. And that's what we're aiming to do by bringing some you know, credibility. And uh, I mean, some people might think, oh, well, we're so far out, but we'll do this in a way that is, you know, like I said, with standardized vetting done by third party. And in terms of taking things to Elon Musk, there are some of these technologies being tested at SpaceX, um, for example, um, as part of other uh, deals that are going on, but those aren't, I mean, there's so many NDAs and things that can't be talked about, but just so you know, some of those same big players are into some of the same technologies that we're working with. Sure. Foster, how did you initially come across these inventions? You said that, they, that you've known about them since 1997? Yeah. Well, that was when I helped organize uh, and sponsor a scientific uh, conference called the Sequoia Symposium, and we brought scientists from all over the world uh, to basically check out uh, the premise that a few of us held that this toroidal, this donut-shaped flow dynamic and a geometry called the vector equilibrium by Buckminster Fuller were actually the two fundamental energy patterns of the universe. Um, and so that was a, a, a three-year ongoing conference uh, meeting several times a year, out of which we ultimately validated at every level, from you know nuclear physicists to astrophysicists to chemists and biologists and psychologists and near-death survivors. Ultimately, everyone ended up uh, agreeing that, yes, at my scale of inspection, yes, these are the two fundamental patterns. And it was in the process of that that I met some uh, inventors who were already creating devices based on Tesla technology, on his uh, his vortices, his towers. Nikola Tesla Nic technology. Nic We've got to make the yeah, distinction oh, now. Thank you. Yeah, the old, the old Tesla yeah. from 100 years ago because Nikola Tesla had access to this, and he was in the process of uh, 
of building the Wardenclyffe Tower in, in Long Island where he was going to demonstrate the transmission of wireless electricity. So you could literally put an antenna in your backyard and pull down electricity the same way you pull down a, a cell phone signal or a, or a TV signal. And um, he got shut down, uh, his funding withdrawn by... Um, by J.P. Morgan, who was making his money from the, the copper mines, and he, so he wanted the, there to continue to be wires. But also then, uh, you know, he sort of died in infamy, and his most of his valuable trunks of knowledge were stolen by the FBI and so forth. So this has been this suppression has been going on uh, for a long time. Um, I think that there are various places that I see people trying to create change and for both of you it is at the forefront of free energy and kind of explaining to people your version of what you think it will take for the world to thrive now there's a big um a big span between where we are right now and there and i i think that i am more drawn to operate in the worlds of what are the steps that everyday people can take to get to a more thriving world. Uh, and one of the concepts that you both exposed me to early on was the banking system and this idea of opting out of big banks and putting your money into local banks and credit unions so that it's lent out within your community. And I've always been really drawn to these leveraged points of entry to create um, more robust communities and um, ultimately come to a world where people have uh, greater prosperity and greater choice to lead better lives. Um, so I want to talk about this a little bit, like what it is that you recommend people do. Um, because I, I think that I, I, I mean, I'll see how much I agree with you and disagree with you about these next steps. Um, but I'll give you, you know, the example of I think I think that there are a lot of issues with big government and agencies that are created that then just try and get funding to have an excuse to be around, right? Um, I also though think that you know creating smaller government with no environmental protection um, is a big mistake, and powers that be really benefit from that. So those are you know. Two, two steps, like one to the left and one to the right, that are in conflict with each other. So I know that this is a big conversation, but I think that um, it is important for people to hear. Because as we're talking about free energy, we're kind of left with like, well, either it'll come out or it won't. But I would like to leave people with more helpful steps around what it is that they can really do. Well um, I'm happy to talk about that. I'm a big transition strategist myself, but I also want to get this back to something bigger than free energy, which is how to think and how to entertain ideas that we don't have a way to prove right now to everybody listening, right? So first of all, in terms of next steps, I personally think that going after corporate personhood is one of the most important things that anybody could be involved in at a, on a very practical level, because as long as individuals can hide behind corporations to do the level of harm that corporations do, 
then it's like, you know, playing a game where half the team's on steroids or something. It's just not a fair fight. So to me, undoing corporate personhood would be a place that I uh, advocate putting a ton of energy. There's a good documentary oh. called The Corporation that I recommend yeah, anyone yeah. check out. Yeah, I love that. And the other is, um, you know, a lot of the issues that I see where the problems when, you know, with the notion of um, how to make what change when has to do with the financial system. Like, yeah, it would be great to have there be private versions of things that the government's providing if people had the money that they're currently spending on taxes with the government, but they don't, right? And so um, cryptocurrencies, for example, and these new um, kinds of alternative money systems, to me, are hugely uh, powerful and important in making some of the, in, in empowering people to make changes. And it's one of the things that we're also interested in promoting as part of this way to have people where to invest in something that you like, that you could you can do that with cryptocurrencies. You can uh, work in smaller amounts, and there's all this transparency and decentralization. So for me, decentralizing anything at any time is a really good idea. Um, and those, and so I look to whatever activism is happening, and I look, I look, get corporations out of being able to function as people, support alternative currencies all the time, and then look for what's helping to decentralize things. This. In, in our solutions hub, which is a, a spontaneously self-creating uh, network of organizations internationally who uh, follow the same principles we do and thrive, they are taking on over 300 different issues. And clearly, when you look issue at a time, it can be so overwhelming that people just get paralyzed. I think that's one of the things that... that uh, happened with the Occupy movement. It just got splintered into so many different directions because they were looking to politics, they were looking to policies as opposed to looking to principles. So the question you're asking is so big that I want to get a little bit of a, of a runway here so I can try to get some lift up because for me, the three most important discoveries in my life, not, I, they, they weren't my discoveries, but I came across them and they impacted my life. The first was Aikido which is a nonviolent martial art. I had done several other martial arts, um, and they weren't satisfying to my soul. When I came across Aikido, I realized that's it. I can be strong and gentle at the same time. I can apply this with my kids, with my, uh, with my wife, with my work partners, and so forth. I remember when, when we first met, you were teaching old people how to fall. Yes. <laughs> that was like one of my introductions to you. It's like yeah. teaching old people how to roll when I, they would stumble. I ended up training and teaching for 15 years, and it affects every day of my life. Um, so, But that's really what woke me up to the power here is to center in yourself, take care of your own terrain energy field and then um, and then respect other people's as well and that can work you can access huge energy that way in a nonviolent way my second one was the first time that I saw free energy which was in a, a lab up in Oregon that had recently been raided by the FBI in very traumatic ways and so forth but the inventor told me to come at 5 a.m. and he would put together some of the equipment that they had taken apart and so forth. And he showed it to me working. It was plugging in one device after another that would, would grind any usual motor generator down to, to nothing. Uh, and it would just gear up and give as much energy as you wanted. And I was just blown away. It's like the, the proof that we're in an abundant universe that as long as we treat it harmoniously can give us everything that we need. So that was the second one. Uh, once again, this toroidal energy 
energy field and, and honoring blending with nature. The third one was uh, what we call the liberty perspective, this notion that at, at the human level, uh, as opposed to the technology level or the biological level, the, the, this fundamental torus is the individual, not the collective, this imaginary group that we've been, a lot of people have been convinced to give over their liberty and, and freedom and so forth to. So at that level, at the, if you look to see, well, what's the principle then at that level? It's what, what the moral philosophers call the non-aggression principle. It simply says you can't initiate force, fraud, or counterfeit against anyone. So simple. It's the one thing we've found that everybody agrees to everywhere in the world where we've ever been, at least for themselves. They don't want to be violated against their will. So I think in the same way that the Taurus is the fundamental blueprint of sustainability, the non-aggression principle is the principle by which we can actually create a sustainable and uh, thriving humanity. So then how does that apply uh, practically? When you look at something like banking, because people are always asking us in public appearances, well, well what, sort of, what sort of system should we have? Same thing with education. Well, if you were director of education, what sort of system would you have? And it's like it's the wrong question. What we actually need for the first time is no imposed systems. You can't have a system which violates anyone else, but people are free to create any kind of school they want as long as they're not violating. You can create any kind of bank you want as long as it's not fraudulent or, or, or counterfeit. And then people choose. And if you had a choice between a commodity-banked, honest bank that actually had your, your money there uh, versus a, a fiat bank that was you know, doing their fractional reserve uh, creation of money out, out of lending your money out so that it actually wasn't there, you would naturally choose the, 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 that honest bank. The other ones would be out of business, but it's the banks that fuel the government, which, which are the, uh, it was the enforcement arm of the, of the corporations. Uh, so, so they don't want all that to happen. So when we look to any of these questions, if we look to what's the problem, look and see how, is there an agenda here to actually control people's lives? And then for the solution, how can we follow the non-aggression principle, honor each person's sovereignty? And it turns out, spent the last 10 years, hours a day, investigating this in every sector, that in every single sector, there, there are ways that that would work. In fact, it's the only way that I think ultimately is going to work, because as we said at the beginning, we're at that point where humanity has to master harmony with one another or we're history. So w w did you have something to say? I kind of just wanted to like yeah, pull, like, let's pull. Pull it back, Foster. Let's pull it back. So, so this um, the idea of non-aggression is is very attractive to me. The idea of giving people choice is also attractive, um, and decentralization. I like all of those. Um, but kind of going back to what I was talking about around you know deregulating uh, certain industries to get to a world where people have more choice like at what points are we moving backwards because i know that that you are not a fan of of thinking within the left right paradigm correct um and i think that more and more people largely due to podcasts are becoming more open to this idea of identifying with certain issues on the right and certain issues on the left and certain issues up down side to side because of thoughtful conversation um but yeah, I want to kind of like create a, I, I think that even though maybe everyone is 
trying to get to a certain place, which is like a, a thriving world, there are next steps that are at odds with each other. Yeah. I think they have a lot to do with being clear about where you're going. So right. one of the things about the notion that I just wanted to check about the notion that looking into free energy could be a real distraction if it's not real. Like, I I really disagree because, first of all, there's so much evidence that whether or not you have seen a working device, if you get into the science, and there are things that you could list at the bottom of the podcast, like the Resonance Foundation, and sure, uh, I'll, some, I'll link to all of some your of work. the some of the places where you can really check out what is the scientific thinking behind this that makes so much sense that. For, to be pursuing it is really worthwhile. And I know John Doerr and other, you know, super successful people, like one of the things he said is he never gave incentives in his company um, for um, anything that mitigated risk because he always wanted everybody to be as risky as they could be in their thinking because it's always useful. So part of um, the philosophy of the non-aggression principle and, and naming these things is the beacon of a world that's based on principles, based on the principle of non-aggression, is super useful to have out there and to have philosophers. Like in a lot of ways, Foster's a philosopher in this way. Stefan Molyneux is the philosopher. And then some of us are going to go, okay, so what does that mean in terms of the steps between here and there? And what's the history of some of the steps that have gone down before? So I would say like one of the things that you keep your eyes foster on a lot is the whole socialist move, socialism, right? And how that is really contrary to us getting to a freer world, because in the course of doing things that sound good, we're actually empowering this, uh, a big problem. So how do we do that good without empowering the problem? And a lot of it has to do with diverting current resources that are sent, spent on like wars of aggression into protecting the environment. And you don't cut your regulations protecting the environment as your first moves. Like there, there are strategic ways to do it as long as you know where you're going. And, and that's a big part of, I think, what what your role is to articulate the vision of where it is, uh, what is this beacon, so that we measure, like, you know, if if you know where you're setting sail to, it doesn't mean that you only head in a completely, like you just go from here to there, you're tacking left and right on your way. And so what do those look like? Well, one of the <laughs> most humbling experiences for me on my path, and for anyone who's really grabbing truth by the tail, is that you begin to realize how many times and how deeply we've been duped. <laughs> and part, you know, people are coming to recognize, ah, the Federal Reserve duped us. You know, they, they were going to make the economy healthy and stable and all that stuff, and they did exactly the opposite and destroyed billions of lives in the process. And Monsanto was going to make, they were going to feed the world, and they've done exactly the opposite in the process. And it's the same thing with the mainstream media. It's the same thing with government itself. So to bring it back to your specific question, Question, I would invite courageous people to really look into regulations because I am all for protecting the environment, have been since I was a, a teenager. But the major purpose of regulations as they exist right now is to empower the corporations to get a monopoly over those resources. They call it regulatory cap. <coughs> Excuse me. 
regulatory capture and just look up that term because the once again the government and the banks and the major corporations are in collusion they create regulations which stifle competition from the from the little players they they just can't keep up with all the regulating regulation reporting and all that type of stuff so they go out of business and meanwhile have the regulations really cleaned up our soil cleaned up our water cleaned up our no exactly the opposite because of the collusion between the big corporations and government now you know in a world following the non-aggression principle Nobody has rights that other people don't have. So every corporate CEO, every stockholder, every member of the board of directors would be responsible for the destruction of the environment that was created by a company that, that they were running. And if you're held individually responsible, you don't hide behind corporate personhood, corporate liability or whatever, things would turn on a dime. So actually you'd end up, once you get get rid of authoritarian government, the, the free market and the non-aggression principle and the insurance companies would be the ones with regulations and they would be much more uh, attuned to nature and much better enforced than the government is obviously not doing. Okay. <laughs> Fuck, I knew we were going to get here. This is good. No, it's good. It's just, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, so... What's so? Let's take environment, for example. I think that this is obviously a, a, an issue that's close to all of our hearts, yes. and we and we all agree that we want a world where we are using resources that are not um, destroying the environment. Now, I don't think that it's realistic uh, to look to picture a world where we're not using any resources of the environment, but the this idea of like you know operating in a world where animals aren't going extinct and we're not clear cutting rainforests and polluting rivers is something that all three of us want right so yeah steps to get there do you think that it is around diverting so taking away corporate personhood and then diverting funds from the military to these other agencies or like What's what's next year? Yeah, this, this is the, the really. I'm kind of I'm lost. Yeah, at well, this, this point, is the really but, powerful question yeah. that's that's big, bigger than any of us can handle on our own. But together as a species, I'm increasingly confident that we can and, and that we will. Because what we've been missing is the principles. And that's when you take the non-aggression principle and you apply it to the environment, obviously we can't survive without cutting down a tree now and then or, or cutting a piece of asparagus or a head of lettuce or something like that. So, so we're, all, we're all exploiting nature uh, all the time in order to survive. Every species is. However, if you do it with the principle that no one is allowed to destroy uh, a an ecosystem, just like the you know the Native Americans in Alaska have been living harmoniously with the caribou for thousands of years because they understand that principle and they really honor the caribou and the ecosystem uh, that they are. So, so in transition, um, we laid out in in Thrive One a three phase transition. Now, we're not looking to impose that. It's more like a business plan based on what we think will and can naturally happen. And the first phase is, is more what you're talking about, about while we still have taxation, which 
we feel is a violation of the non-aggression principle is taking your money at the point of a gun, whether you like it or not. And that's why every government in the world forever has been corrupt, because that's what it's all, all based on. But as we're moving toward a, a, a free uh, world, and I don't mean everything is free. I mean that people have the freedom to do voluntary exchange, uh, create wealth, take care of one another, and, and so forth. As we're moving toward that and still have taxation, there is um, just if you cut the military budget uh, in half of the U.S. alone, it would provide the funds to fund the transition back to organic farming, take care of uh, poverty, take care of health issues and so forth for people who can't afford it, for the entire planet. So it's not like we don't have the money. So there must be some other agendas because human beings aren't that stupid. We just need to understand uh, what, what's really going on. So while we're still being taxed, yes, you can take, uh, take all the interest that we pay to the Federal Reserve because that's all fictitious. Uh, they're the ones who've put our grandchildren already tens of thousands of dollars in debt before they're, they're born. You take that money and you put it into the transition, the, the uh, money from the Federal Reserve and half the military budget, you all of a sudden got a much healthier uh, world and you're taking care of people, but they know, you know, it, it's like they're in rehab. You know, people are, are, who are on welfare unnecessarily are in rehab. They realize, okay, I got four or eight years, whatever it is, I've got to get my act together. And then as people go out and get jobs, because this has already happened in Poland, it's happened in Russia, it's happened in China. We've been through this transition where people have to get off their welfare couches and go out and actually get a job, and it, and it works. Those who can't get taken care of by their neighbors, by their, their churches, by the prosperity that's built on a true free market being allowed. So stage one is, is bringing as much integrity as you can to existing systems, but you're heading toward the beacon of getting rid of all the corrupt systems. Stage two is, is and that's kind of like, a, I call it a Dennis Kucinich stage. It's the progressives at their best. The second one is more like a Ron Paul stage, where you've got the kind of old conservatives, like more libertarian type of small government, honest currency, no foreign wars of aggression, and so forth. So then you move into that, and you're working out how to take care of, of the, the commons if there need to be any. And ultimately, and this has been proven again and again, it's been proven, you, you know, you, you do A-B testing on the internet right now. You got A-B testing in East and West Berlin, North and South Korea, North and, and South England uh, during the Industrial Revolution, every time that there's a comparison of the free market versus status control, there's misery and starvation in the status control, and to whatever degree they truly allow a free market, there's prosperity, security, happiness, health. That's, that's the direction to go. So I think as we're going through those stages one and two, we're going to see that, that each of the sectors works better uh, with a smaller government, but ideally, it's, the government's like a corrupt cancer. You don't want to leave a little bit in your body. So as you keep going, people will see, oh, wow, we didn't need this. We don't actually need to believe this system. Just like people woke up to, to, to kings, you know, royalty, and thought, what the hell? Who's a king? It's just a human being who, you know, had an army who took over. And then they caught on to dictators, and now they're catching on to any type of, of ruler, even Democrat, you know, mob rule, majority uh, vote. And so we'll be moving into a system where all these things are taken care of much better. It's like the difference between FedEx and the U.S. Post Office, but it's with this kind of freedom where everybody is held accountable. And I think that I'm going to see at least the tipping point to uh, that world, to where I can feel confident 
on my deathbed. I think I'll see that within my lifetime, and I'm 70. What? Go for it. I, I, I just wanted to say I think also one of the things that, that I see and that we've seen um, going around the world is that people are inclined to come at this at sort of one of three different stages, right? One is that they want to help the person who's suffering right there right help feed somebody who doesn't have the food so it's just like a one-on-one -on -one practical application right now to help stop the bleeding and then there are others who come out a little bit more they're oriented toward a system like there's a banking system that's so corrupt that it's causing these people to be in the position that they need this one-on-one -on -one care so they're going to go after creating an alternative currency or something like that and then there are people who are really oriented toward the consciousness shift that created the systems that led to the pain, right? And it takes all of us, and it doesn't mean that at any that because you're into one thing at one time, you're at you can't be at another uh, level of engagement at another time, and you can't get anywhere without all three of those engagements going on at once. But I think it's really important, like. My experience of you, Foster, is that your role is to always be calling out this beacon. You know history extremely well. You see what's happened with one government after another and these A-B testings. It's like your, your sense of the world and the world economy and the world political history and all that is huge and deep. And I, I really appreciate it. And it keeps you in a position of like you're you're showing a beacon and part of what we're after is like could we show enough about how we think this stuff works right um, enough that people would want to take the next step in exploring it um, to go ahead and provide the tools for them to do that because basically what we what we both believe is that there is new energy technology that can really take a big leap forward here for the planet and that it's worth us spending our time and money on it. So if we can demonstrate that and how it works enough for people to run with that one with um, empowering alternative currencies, because that's where the crux of the matter, if people had the money that they don't have, they would be making way better choices to be able to do things with it. But they're dependent upon the government because they have to pay the government. So it's just kind of a vicious cycle. And I see that your role, Foster, and what you're articulating is really to hold our attention. You know, you want to have it out here. I've always been like, okay, well, wait, how do we get from here to there? And a big part of it is like, like my brother always says, put your bucket down somewhere. It's like, okay, how about if I had to pick what would make the biggest difference? It would be the notion of organizing around principles rather than policies, the non-aggression principle in particular, and to introduce um, science and energy and health devices with the perspective of a whole new paradigm in terms of being uh, a, not a closed system, right? The whole So that the paradigm would shift out of us being in a closed system and that scarcity is the operant model to we're in an open, infinite, abundant system. And so that's kind of how we're coming at it. And we've done it by getting into some, you know, radical ideas because that's where our inquiry took us. But way, you know, those are less important in my personal process than figuring out what I do is what's the best use of me, right? I'm, I'm a critical thinker. I'm courageous about not, I'm, 
I'm wonderfully liberated from um, being afraid of what people think about me. <laughs> and, you know, that was a that was a huge personal process. That's not just something that I was born with. It got burned out of me, you know, and, and largely through, um, well, what sort of one line of work after another, you probably remember as a kid when I was working with homeless teens, that was like really one of the first super, like I had no idea how controversial it would be, but it was, and gave me my beginnings of thick skin that got, um, yeah, I mean, it just really happened more after after making Thrive, where I felt liberated uh, into being more committed to what was the best use of me on the planet to be as helpful as I could be than what somebody who I didn't even really respect thought of me. I do care what people who I respect think of me, but none of them just write me off. <laughs> they at least want to have a conversation with me. Whether or not we agree isn't the point. They respect my inquiry and, and our commitment to doing what we believe is the best thing we can do. So I think, you know, trying to get like, well, so what, how do you, how do you move that money out of the military? You know, well, actually there are ways, um, tax reform is, is a very strategic thing that people can take on to free up money to put into better things like environmental protection and things like that. So they translate into some strategic actions that can happen right now, but they come from a much bigger idea and a beacon. It's like if we're going here to where we're looking for people to be governed, governing themselves based on principle, then we need to free up the money. How do we free up the money? We need to disempower the corporations. How do we do that? Those become strategic steps that you can take right now. But I think how you're always going to be articulating it, Foster, is most of all in terms of where are we going? We can't forget where we're going. What do you see, both of you, uh, as the bright spots existing right now? I know that, um, was it North Dakota switched to a statewide banking system? Um, I, I don't know that story super well, and it, you might have others, but yeah. what, uh, do you, what do you see going on right now that you really like? Yeah, that's actually an interesting example, because North Dakota is the only state uh, that has had a public bank. So it's the only one that didn't really suffer in the 2008 uh, collapse. And the public bank is a perfect example of kind of a, a stage one transition strategy because a public bank means that it's actually state-owned versus government. Um, and I'm it's, the state is still a local government. It's usually um, more... Uh, locally responsible than the federal government. To me, that's ultimately not the 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 way to go. But their their track record is much better than these this crooked uh, central banking uh, Rothschild Rockefeller uh, system. Um, in terms of the bright spots, when we uh, kind of laid out this business plan of this three stage transition to a free and and thriving world, one of the things that um, that I've been really excited about in, in doing further research is that those steps are happening so much already. And what do I mean by that? They, if you look at education, um, the, there's such a move toward homeschooling and charter schooling, which, which means just more choice uh, for, your, for your kids in school. When you look at uh, the economic systems, look at the energy that's going into alternative and cryptocurrencies right now, because they're honest, they're decentralized, they're they're efficient. So um, look in terms of security. One of the concerns most people have about considering a 
a world without government, well, who's going to protect us? Uh, well, even on the local level, it turns out that in the U.S. now, there are significantly more private security officers than there are police officers, government police officers. Uh, and that hasn't been a problem, and it's a continuing you know, it, uh, it's continuing to grow. If you look at dispute resolution, well, we've got to have the, you know, the court system to resolve conflict. Well, it turns out that you know, over 90% of court cases are actually resolved through independent mediators or independent arbitrators. So even that is getting out of the centralized corrupt system, going to human beings, sitting down with principles uh, and resolving it. So I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing that even though the global domination agenda is being pressed by those who still are trying to, you know, invade Syria, invade Iran, not to, you know, free up their, their government, but literally to take their gold, to take their uh, oil and to move them into a Rothschild um, banking system because there are two of only other, you know, four or five countries in the world that are left that aren't part of that. Even though the banking system is still going for that consolidation, they're being exposed, the thing is collapsing, and human beings through their own natural initiative are creating alternative free, I mean, uh, sovereign and decentralized systems. Well, go for it. Well, I'd say in terms of the bright lights that I see, um, for me, it has a lot to do with what's happening in the whole consciousness movement. And, and what I see as far as like, we see ideas ripping families apart, right? Like people's opinions about how to get to our shared goals. You know, we can actually end up in horrible relations with people who we otherwise love based on worldview and uh, political realities. But um I think that through that somehow, like I just see a, a huge opening for people to take deeper dives personally into their identity and, and who are they and, and what's in the way and how can we be more bold in our thinking. And I think these next generations that have come up without the promise of, you know, if you're, if you're good you'll get what you deserve. It's like, it doesn't work that way. And so how does it work? And I know, um, like I said in the beginning, that when I find an idea that makes me uncomfortable, it takes me back to thinking, well, who's uncomfortable, right? Like, who, who am I anyway? And I see so much more of that happening. So to me, the bridge between consciousness and critical thinking and the bridge between science and spirituality and having these worlds merge, you know, where I was just, I was watching a movie recently called Heal and uh, listening to people talk from a scientific and medical perspective about where things are starting to blur in terms of our intentions. It happened with uh, Bruce Damera, the scientist talking about intention, really kind of um, shaping probability, right? And so what is that? And, and what's the physical and metaphysical uh, interface there. And I, th I see that the more that we can have those conversations, uh, they really interest me. And I think that they open us up to a different kind of exploration with each other where we're, where instead of being afraid of our differences, we can actually come at it to learn from each other and, and see that, you know, this, the way this country's been torn apart uh, in the last few years just more and more people coming at it to go, wait a minute, there's got to be something else here besides making each other so wrong, and, and what could it be? What would you say are the most helpful tools that you use um, 
to get back to who it is that you really are. Because most people don't have the luxury of studying these topics for 10 hours a day. Um, most people are really disincentivized to go down these rabbit holes. And I think that a lot of people just kind of are lost to who they really are. Um, And one thing that I have always respected about you and and continue to respect about you is that you, um, you really value your intuition and uh, you really don't give a fuck if it's an unpopular idea. Um, And I, I know that you do a lot of work to strengthen that muscle um, and I wanted to ask you kind of what's most helpful to you as you were on this uh, highly controversial path. Well, I think the most important thing is to f- is to f- find like a, a still point inside that is connected to something bigger than anything that's going on here. And and so you know I, my personal belief is that consciousness is primary and that I'm I'm having this experience as a human being in a body as as a soul experience more than that I'm just here and then I go and it just kind of came and went so because of that I'm I'm for evolving more than anything like I'm I'm more interested in evolving than I am in anything else and that's a big part of why I'll entertain things and in order to stay open to that I meditate. I mean, I'm I'm a big believer that practice, as you know, gets you what you want. If you practice surfing, you get to be a better surfer. And if you practice uh, being quiet, you get better at listening to what what is intuition. And for me, that involves getting my mind out of the way. So I do that. I meditate every morning. Sometimes I do it with a binaural sound beat, which is a neat technique. There are lots of free apps where it basically just creates a dissonance of frequencies in in a different ear and what happens is it tends to make the different hemispheres of your brain sync up so that like you know those um magic eye books where you can look uh, at a picture and if you get your focus in a certain way a whole different picture emerges if you get your uh, brain hemispheres in sync you can look at those books and in a second see the different ways so something opens up as your hemispheres are um, open so sometimes I use a binaural sound beat sometimes I use breath work I think breath is critical obviously you're you've explored it in ways far beyond me but I think basic uh, breath work and awareness of breath is super important and then also for me personally I have been have I've had the opportunity to do ayahuasca ceremonies and those have been really helpful for just taking me straight to a place that it's just absolutely fearless and helps me to see this bigger uh, world that I feel that I'm a part of, it kind of corroborates my spiritual orientation. So it's just like plugging in. I feel like for me, when I, when I do those ceremonies, I get to just plug into something that feeds me at a really deep level and my intuition. When did you start using ayahuasca? You know, it's funny. It came about, um, completely unexpectedly. I was working to, I got exposed to these health, uh, technologies right and my interest was to see 
would it be possible to get one? So some I saw, one I saw in particular, let's say, that really worked. Um, I watched people have big effects from, from a technology, and I wanted to, but it wasn't FDA approved. And I thought, God, I really want to just create a model for getting this thing out where it can spread word of mouth. I thought, you know, our movie spread word of mouth without any marketing. So clearly, if you put something out and it's useful, people will spread it. So I was looking, I was like ravaging through all the FDA and AMA regulations. And I was on a mission to find a way to get one of these treatments that we had found out that wasn't approved. And Right then, we got a call from somebody who was looking for some help in a completely different arena, ended up having the call, and it turned out to be this guy, Jerry, who you've actually uh, met now, um, who has the only medical license in the world for ayahuasca. And I said, God, if you could get a medical license for ayahuasca, you could help teach me how to get a medical license for just getting one of these non-FDA treatments out. So I said, I'll trade you. If you treat, if you teach me how to do that, I'll get one of these technologies down and open it up in your facilities and make it available to people who come there. He said, okay, it's a deal. And that was probably like two years ago. And he said, well, we do ayahuasca here, obviously. Would you be interested in doing that? And I said, God, I don't know, you know, probably. I mean, I'm I'm 65. I grew up. I've done psychedelics, you know, from the 60s and all that. But ayahuasca, when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, it sounds like it really raunches your body. I don't know. But then I was there and I met the shaman that he works with. And so I had my first experience, I think, two years ago. And I've, I think I've done it 33 times in my life. And each time I have made a commitment to see to actually commit myself to making a change in my life as a result of it so rather than just like having this far out trip and then waking up in the from it and going wow that was far out and going on with my life I actually made a deal that whatever insight I'm given I'll record during the sessions so I take notes which are hilarious to look at because someone's like three words on a page and you know the page is breathing and well, where's the By pen can, and how does this like yeah, oh my god wait but this pen it's just you know, a big like, smiley face <laughs> and so they look they're messy but they they say very important things and i've had really important changes in my life as a result of them and mostly they have um helped me to create uh disciplines and structures by which to pursue this inquiry in an ever more fearless and calm way. I would say it's given me much greater calm and a much um, a much bigger sense that this journey is just one big unfoldment. And while, you know, I have a big project that I'm working on right now, and then I'll complete that, and chances are I'll have other big projects because I really enjoy that, but that they're all just for evolving. That's all the whole thing ever is. And so I think that my, I get way less uncomfortable when things like go wrong. It's just more like, oh, not going the way that I expected, but what is here instead. I think that, and then just really opening even more to my intuition. It's been super helpful. And wait, I, you know, of course I have to say that doesn't mean it's good for everybody and that everybody has those kind of trips or anything. It's just that for me, it's been the most valuable tool of any kind of psychedelic experience. Yeah, I think you do a really good job incorporating the learnings uh, and, and taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, 
Jim Fadiman, who I just had on the podcast, loves to talk about how uh, preparing for a psychedelic experience is a lot like psyching up for an athletic event. Yeah. No one knows exactly what that means, but it means that you take it really seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And then process afterwards, like the whole next day to really spend integrating it and taking the notes. And I transcribe what I wrote at night and I keep it in a journal and I'm really and I review it and I watch how it affects me. And if ever it weren't doing that, I would stop doing it. Yeah, that leads to something I wanted to say in response to your question about the tools, because ultimately, you know, you talk about this interesting information or, or an interesting consciousness experiences, and really what, um, what I think everybody wants to know is how can I apply any of this stuff to make my life better and, and to help other people have better lives themselves. And We've led solu Thrive Solution Summit workshops around the world, and two things I want to communicate that we've just found to be most useful and practical is, first of all, just in relation to the mastery of the self. Um, there are four simple levels. Most people are aware at least of some of this, but it will so simplify people's lives if they catch on to this and just dedicate their practices to just as if you know, there's certain things you need to do to, to ride a two-wheeler. Uh, and you can get to your skin knees at first and so forth. Once you learn to ride a two-wheeler, then it's just about where you're going to ride your bike because you've got that skill. It's similar, I believe, with the mastery of the self. And fundamentally, it's learning to center and relax your physical body. And then secondly, to center in your emotional flow and to have that emotional flow serve you rather than blow you off of your center. The third is to be able to center in your mind where you can have that still point in your mind where you can uh, watch thoughts uh, arise and disappear as you do in meditation or you can focus your mind uh, and use it the way you need to for, for particular tasks. And then the fourth one is to be able to relate and communicate successfully not only in your conversation inside your own head but with other people. And I suggest that... It, if you if there are any for your listeners, if there are any of those areas that you haven't been really exploring, put it on your calendar because it's not an infinite set of problems. As you get certain mastery in all four of those, then there's room for your spirit to come fully through. Those are, ignorance about those things or incompetence in those areas simply create obstacles to the fulfillment of your spirit. So that's one section. That's uh, the inside part, the inside work. And the second one is people will often say to us, well, you know, what, what can I do as just one person? The problems of the world are, are so big. And I like to remind myself and them that every single one who's here in a body, no matter what's going on in your life, was the winner of a swimming race with about 60 million other participants. As a sperm, you had a hell of a lot of intention and coordination, and that's what you're here with. So when you get up in the morning, it's actually that intention is guiding you still. So, so then what do you do with that intention? And what we recommend to people is, one, you sit down and write out what your purpose is. If you haven't already, and you can, it, it'll come down to a simple sentence, and you're the only one who knows what that is. And it, it might, you know, you might be able to refine it a month later or a year later, but write down what you're, what you feel like you're here for. Once you're clear on that, then uh, ask yourself, uh, in addition to whatever I need to do to put, uh, take care of my loved ones, put food on the table, take care of my body and so forth, uh, what do I really want to do with my energy, uh, with that sense of purpose, and ask yourself which sector 
of activities uh, of is it spirituality is it uh, media is it um, economics uh, is it uh, agriculture what what sector do you most want to put your energy into ideally it's an area of expertise if not you know become expert in that sector then ask yourself amidst that sector what topic would I most like to change what I like to work on the getting rid of the herbicides and pesticides or what I like to work on on uh, getting honest money or uh, something like that so you, you got your purpose then your sector then your topic and then ask yourself which level of engagement this is what Kimberly addressed before do I want to work at the meeting immediate needs working on systemic change or working on the consciousness shift as I think you know, you're, you've done all three of those levels and you're especially doing the consciousness shift now with your podcast but if, if you sit down and work through your own honest choices with each of those then when you go out to work on your own to join a group to start a group uh, you show up with such self-awareness that there's tremendous momentum it's very compelling for other people you can inspire that in them and then it's that kind of collaboration that will change the world one uh, compliment that I would like to give you, Foster, is on how much better you have become at uh, providing a point of entry for people into these conversations. Um, because I've been at some dinner tables with you early on where <laughs> you're, let's just say your voice projects. And when you start talking about the Illuminati in public situations, I'd have to kind of tap you on the, on the back and be like, Foster, let's dial back a few notches. And I think that you've become much more skilled at leading with questions, which inspires curiosity uh, in others. Um, Thank you. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, I know you are. I know you are. Um, I, I think that we've had a couple um, like s secret words. I'm like, Foster, if I say Abba Zabba, <laughs> it means pause and reflect. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Um, right. Either everybody's it, left or everybody's gathered around, but I've ruined the party. Yeah, it's just <laughs> you and Alex Jones. <laughs> but I wanted to get um, your perspective on what questions you um, would would like to ask people, or, or how do I put this? What are the most helpful questions that people can ask in a social situation or ways to bring up these taboo subjects um, that don't alienate you or at least mm. mitigate that? Because mm. uh, I do think that there are more s skillful ways than others. And, I, and one issue that I have with a lot of people in the quote unquote conspiracy world mm. is that they just kind of spray paint their ideas everywhere. And then when people leave, they're like, well, they're afraid of the truth. Mm. And I, I think that there are, <laughs> I don't know who I was just referencing right there, but uh, I think that you've, you really, um, you make an effort to have it land with people as best you can. So is there any advice that you have on, on a pragmatic level? Sure. Some of the things that I've been learning besides just leading with questions in, instead of trying to cram information down people's throat if they're not hungry for it, um, is one, just to ask people what their passion is. Um, because that gets them in touch with their purpose, you know, with the, their emotive force. And then as they describe it, uh, usually there's something in the way. 
of that of them being able to express that creativity or that that business or that in invention or that communication technique or whatever it is and so then I said well you know w what is that what's in the way what and what do you think could be done about that and maybe share some other information that people who are going through similar things so that we're on the same team looking to remove obstacles rather than one person's right and one person's wrong because we're all learn ideally we're all learning uh, from each other as we go along another question that I have found fruitful to ask people is what are you loyal to and some people at first say, well, I'm a, you know, I, I'm, I'm an American. You know, I'm loyal to the country. And so I'm going to ask, well, what does that mean? Well, I have your politics. Well, I'm, I'm a loyal Republican or I'm a loyal progressive or something like that. And so I, I keep going deeper because whether I'm working with athletes in peak performance or, or people just looking to figure out what's, what the heck's going on in the world and what can I do about it, the... What I find is if people are willing to keep going in that conversation, they, they come down to that they're loyal to principles. That when you go to a movie or a play or something like that, every, everybody in the audience is looking for who's got the courage, who's got the truth, who's actually willing to step up and be a hero in that situation. And that's what we all want to do. And we can do that with principles. So I keep going for what are the principles that you're loyal to? Because once we get to that, it turns out that we're almost identical, and we've been fooled into these differences of ethnicity and, uh, and religion and a political party and so forth. But when you really get down to what we're loyal to as human beings, that's the common ground that I think will have us thriving. You guys, we've been going for an hour and a half. Um, I want to wrap up soon, but I want to leave you with any, um, if you have any kind of final points that you'd really like to make. Um, the stage is yours. I guess one, one thing that's come to mind in this conversation, which I really appreciate having, I love your open mind, Kyle, and I, I love your podcast. I listen to it also, and you've turned Fuck, me what on. have you heard? <laughs> you've turned me on. People, to whenever people, anyone says that, I'm like, oh, God, I got so high on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I, I like Now it. it's my mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I've been, and you've um, gotten me to listen to all kinds of people I never would have listened to before so I, I appreciate that I guess the thing about just kind of what you were saying Foster about how similar we all really are like this notion of being courageous you know that I I value my courage I value living an authentic independent life as much as I can to be guided by the things that I value and but that to remember like I guess like courage it's like 51% courageous it's, it's never really more than that. It's not that everybody doesn't have the same things going on inside. It's a matter of where we choose to act from. And that's what really if, in, determines our lives. And I think the notion that, you know, somebody just completely is 100% courageous or 100% anything, we never are. We're just 51% is all it takes. And I'm grateful that I'm 51% courageous, you know, and I love that in other people. I appreciate it in you and your podcast and a lot of the people who you have on. And just um, to come at this more that is controversial or whatever as anything is, like there's so much that we're all after that's the same. And to me, that's a big part of motivation for critical thinking is, so why is someone offering this? 
Like, what's the motivation behind somebody? Like, I'm always impressed when people write books. What a generous thing to do. Like, all of the things that people do or make films, like all the work that we do to put into helping to share something that we think is useful. That's what most of this stuff is about. And it gives, it, you know, so this thing, how we started with we think that people are good. Yeah, we really do think that people are good. There's evidence all over the place. And it happens that it's revealed more and more the deeper we go. So I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation. Thank you. Uh, one little completion. I think, uh, Kimberly, when you were speaking earlier about Einstein, I, I don't think that you completed that to say that it turns out now that Einstein was actually right about the ether, uh, that, that the studies that, that debunked uh, the, the ether turned out to be wrong. And the ether, the, this field of which we're all a part, is the realization of that is what's leading to so many of these uh, solutions in health, in environment, in energy, and especially in consciousness. The, I know the, the, uh, the last ayahuasca experience that I had was probably the most powerful one that I, that I have experienced. And uh, as the geometry was a- appearing for me, and I was just kind of enjoying it, the medicine was coaching me, don't just look at the geometry invited in so I invited it into me and it put me into this just blissful energy state which I enjoyed for a while and then I thought okay now I got to get back to work and there's this kind of chuckling that was going on inside uh, my mind and 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 the medicine said uh and said you don't need to go somewhere else to do your work said this is your work and I was thinking well there's more I need to understand said no you have you you understand well, there's more healing. No, you have actually done the healing. And then it's like, okay, what is there? Because I, you know, I have this mission in the world, and the, the message was allow yourself to be that bliss, which was for me was allowing myself to actually be the whole field coming through the Taurus that, that, that I call foster. Um, and then through that bliss, bring the truth and beauty that you care about to the world. So that I just wanted to complete that on the sure. on on the field and then, and then finally I just want to say um Kyle that I uh, I treasure my relationship with you ever since uh, we first met and you know you were of course were skeptical about this new guy coming into your life and you know you've always been a very honest guy so I could tell you know when you were feeling comfortable and when you were not but the the depth of the relationship that we have built based on our common loyalties, you know, to the truth, to enjoying life, to, to experiencing and, and expressing love has really been one of the treasures of my life. And I'm thrilled that you're being courageous enough to expose yourself to the world through media uh, like this on a daily basis. So thanks for including us in this. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, aside from it all, I just really like both of you. Thank you. You know, I, I think that that's uh, what it what it comes down to. I'm very proud that you're my mom and proud that you're my stepdad. And uh, I would love to have you back on the podcast anytime and foster one final question for you that has just been burning at me. I know this is going to be hard for you to answer. Um, but what do you think about the Warriors game? <laughs> well, I from your earlier comment, I think maybe you didn't see their game last night. No, I didn't. Well, they they were behind by 17 points, came back and won by 30. Jesus! <laughs> so they're now in a game seven. So this will date this podcast. Yes, because tomorrow night is is uh, is game seven for them. <laughs> yes, one of my uh, my favorite 
pick it like when I picture Foster, he is in his office with like Infowars going on on one TV, <laughs> global domination <laughs> folder here, and then like the tennis finals going on <laughs> over here, like equally engaged in all three of them. That's literally where I was today. But one of the things back to, to the Warriors, I, I don't follow a lot of basketball, but this is the most loving basketball team. They're the most fun loving camaraderie loving basketball team that I have ever seen in addition to being tremendously talented so that's why I especially have been interested in, in them because it, it, it works it works in basketball and it works in life yeah clearly I'm a super fair weather basketball <laughs> fan but I fucking love the fact that Steph Curry is sponsored by water <laughs> right. I don't know if you know this he was like kids shouldn't be drinking sugar drinks I drink water right that's what should sponsor me yeah hell yeah dude and he he that's is he is the leader on that team in terms of bringing this into the paradigm of love the same way without intending to embarrass you too much the same way I watched you do with the with the Grom community in Santa Cruz uh, going beyond the previous generation of kind of violence and drugs and being cool to actually having fun and caring about each other and the planet and the environment so we'll finish on that <laughs> All right on guys thank you so much thank you Kyle That's our show. I'm going to play you out with a song called Born for Something by a listener named Kevin Kraft. If any of you are musicians and you want your tunes played at the end of this podcast, you can email the music to info at kyle.surf. I will link to your band page in the show notes as well as on my website, kyle.surf. This is an ad-free podcast, so if any of you feel inspired to donate even just the equivalent of a cup of coffee every month, it really does help. You can click the link below the bio on your phone right now or head over to my website, kyle.surf, to donate on Patreon. And thank you again very much to everyone who does if you can't donate seriously don't stress on it uh give the show a rating on itunes or wherever you're listening from share it with a friend that stuff doesn't cost you anything um and it helps immensely as always you can reach out to me on instagram or on my website kyle.surf i love hearing feedback from all of you and um i'll see you soon get out in the water whatever kind of water you are close to be it a lake ocean swimming pool or bathtub I promise it will make your day better and uh cheers Whew. this is a heavy one wasn't it happy I did it, it was, felt good felt good <laughs> alright see you soon
Shining so brightly, it lightens my hair. We are from the stars, thought we'll get you from portals open up.